What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush uh, Interview Friday with Lauren Fogelbaum. Hello. Baum. <laughs> I don't know why I don't want to say Fogelbaum. Fo- Fogelbaum, yeah, that's the technical German pronunciation, so. That's right. How are you doing? Oh, huh, that's a great question, I suppose. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's good I, to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you. I, uh, how, how are you doing? I'm fine, you know. I'm hanging in there. Uh, I think I've gotten used to things for the most part. Uh, I've got a lot of election anxiety, but other than that, I'm 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 well. Uh, yeah, I had the thing happen where my landlord of four years was suddenly like, "All right, get out in two months." Um, oh no! So that's going on in the middle of this pandemic, um, and that's it's just fine. It's working out, um, but I will say that it's a level of stress that I was not anticipating having to have. Wow. So are you in the the old place that you have to get out of? Yes. Yes. I'm currently broadcasting into my closet. Um, Uh (laughs) Who knew that 2020 was the year all of us were going to get back in our closets, (laughs) right? What uh, what part of town do you live in? I don't even think I know that. Oh, I'm over in Reynoldstown, um, kind of oh, cool. right by the like Edgewood Shopping Center sort of area. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking to stay in relatively the same the same area. Um, cool. Uh, you you got a place lined up yet, or is it? That's that's a thing that I hope to have unlocked by Friday. <laughs> we've we've right. uh, spent the past few days looking, uh, sort of frantically at many houses with many face masks. So it's uh, yeah. But but the looking is the fun part, like getting to go like, ooh, architecturally speaking, what happened here? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mean, I've lived in the same house for 13 or 14 years now, but we did move out last a couple of years ago when we renovated for like eight months. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a pain in the ass, but it was kind of like I remember moving uh, to different apartments and like I always kind of I mean, moving always sucks, but I always enjoyed getting a new place and just a change of scenery. I always like I didn't mind moving so much. Yeah, getting to 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 remake uh or like reorganize your life and and that opportunity to yeah. go through things and go like why do I have this? Get rid of that. Um totally. I'd like it on a more relaxed schedule, but <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, choosing to move is different than being told to leave. Uh I I don't think I've ever been uh not kicked out, but you know, I don't think I've ever had to leave sooner than I wanted to. So that's a different deal. It is. It's it's okay. It's a it, it was a known factor that our landlord is a real pill and so it's a surprise to no one that he is being a real pill. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope you land in a great place though. Ah, oh, I think I will. Good. Uh so if you recognize Lauren's voice, uh you may have listened to her on this show when you guested on 
Um, I think it's just some Halloween episodes, right? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, I, I did I did that roundup um, for uh, right around uh, awards season, and we talked about Knives Out. Oh, you weren't on any of the Halloween episodes? No, I I think I meant to be, and then it never happened. Okay, well we'll have to get you in there this year for for Frighttober, but uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. We talked Knives Out, and you also um, you're on a bunch of shows. Why don't you just go through and tell everyone all the shows you're on now? Because you're on a new one. I didn't even know you were on. Oh yeah, yeah. I almost didn't know that I was on that one for a minute. Um, yeah. So, uh, so um, I'm on uh, the the short form um, uh, science show, Brain Stuff. It's uh, just like five to seven minutes of general science topics uh, every day of the week. Uh, then, the show that won't die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been running for thirteen years now. Um, that's uh, it crazy. Was originated by Marshall Brain, who, and, and I'm pretty sure yeah. that's his real name. Is that his real name? That's his real name. Gosh. What a thing. Anyway, yeah. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm hosting that one now. I'm also with um, a frequent uh, guest of yours on Movie Crush here, Annie Reese. Um, she's we're, we're, co- we're co-hosts on a show called Saver, which is a more conversational. Yeah, Saver's great. Oh, thank you. Oh man, I I think it's great too. Like we have we have a lot of fun. Like we're 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 covering like the science and culture and history of foods. But um, but yeah, Annie and I just have a have an absolute blast. Um, and uh, then you know, the new one that I'm, I'm doing right now is called American Shadows. And that's with um, the, the Grim and Mild team uh, headed up by Aaron Menke. And it's about um, dark, true stories from, Amer- from American history. I think the team wanted to focus on stuff that happened in America and that kind of highlights how, you know, they're, they're like – wild, desperate times that we cover, but but there's like truth and justice always prevail. So despite it being like a murder show, <laughs> it's really comforting to work on right now. Yeah. How long has that one been out? Only since mid September. What what month are we in? <laughs> where, where we, do I it, where we're do in I August. Live? We when no, we just we just crossed over into September. Okay. It's Labor Day weekend coming up. <laughs> uh it uh it launched in it launched in a uh, in in mid August. Um, so there's only a couple Mid-Aug- episodes. So it's out brand now. new. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, once every other week. Um, just a just a real tight thirty minute show, scripted. Um, uh, the the excellent uh, Miranda Hawkins is doing the editing on that one, and and her oh, cool. her storytelling through um the soundtrack and just through the the way that she edits. The pieces together um, is is really beautiful. So, oh man, well that's yeah. great. Miranda's awesome. Uh, oh yeah, I got to check that out because I heard the promos and it just sounds really cool. And it sounds like a cool new show. Like that's that's big big time A list stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it is it is so. I was as surprised as anyone <laughs> when when Aaron tapped me for it. Oh come um, on. But I get to do I get to do like my serious creepy voice and like use a lot of vocal fry, so it's fun. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, you have one, just uh, as far as vocal qualities go, I think you have one of the best voices uh, for this in our company. Um, we all kind of fell into it, but you, I think, had a real knack for it from the beginning. Um, ah. I can't say the same for, like, Josh and I are who we are, but uh, you're just a pro voiceover person at this point, I feel like. Oh, th- thank you for saying so. Um, I mean, I think that that any any um, technical vocal quality that, that I... I possess <laughs> is balanced out by my just shattering anxiety over performing every single day. So like, like really? y'all still, yeah, yeah. Y'all, y'all are not, not every single day. I'm fine. It took me about three years, um, to be honest, okay. to not be like pit sweating every time I went into the oh. studio. <laughs> um, and y'all seem to come at it so naturally. And I'm really envious of that. Like, I feel like I just have these conversations in my head with how conversations on mic could go. Every time I go in, if especially if I'm like, like, I'm like nervous talking to you because I'm not used to doing it. So, uh-huh. if, you know, so I'm just like, God, anything could happen. It's not oh, Annie. Oh, Lauren. Well, it, it certainly <laughs> I'm not Annie. I'm not. I uh, wish I was Annie. Uh, uh-huh. It certainly doesn't come through. Um, uh-huh. you're, you're fantastic. And your shows are great. So uh, um, you should. Thank you. you you're great. Remember that. <laughs> Hush up. Oh, oh, I'm like, oh, thank you, Daddy Chuck. <laughs> like that. Oh, Daddy, know, that, that, that sounds that sounds wrong. Uh, I'm gonna <laughs> let's all just right. ignore that I said that. Cool, <laughs> Big Brother. <laughs> so we, uh, I wanted to get you in here for a solo effort, and we'd been wanting to do this for a long time, and it just sort of, uh, I think COVID happened, and then 
um, I, I fell into a rhythm of having a certain group on. Then I was like, wait a minute, I haven't had, I haven't had you on in a long time. And I haven't had, actually I haven't had Annie on in a long time. Cause I think she moved too. Right. Uh, she she did not. She she's still in the same place. But um, but I I think that being a lot more well, certainly like a lot more extroverted than I am. Like she she had like a major mental shift that might might be called a move. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when it came time to pick a movie, you were uh like every person who's ever come on this show had a little anxiety about <laughs> it because it's tough. Um, you get do overs though, so you don't you didn't have to really stress about. Uh, like you can come back on the show. It didn't have to be the one and only movie. Oh, but, out- but what if I mess up the first one and then you're just like, <laughs> oh, that guy, not that guy, nah. anything but that guy. <laughs> no, uh, I think your list of movies was interesting. So tell tell them about the the few that you didn't that we didn't go with. All right, they, they might show up later. Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, so so I sent you this list, and then I realized afterwards that it was probably more um, self revelatory than I completely intended it to be um i just rattled off i was like i don't know like what what are what could i possibly say is my favorite movie like uh like ghostbusters or maybe like the witch like the witch was so good or or i don't know beetlejuice or videodrome or the fifth element um great movies all great films yes um i (laughs) i'm I think the pattern here is that like like yeah I'm like a spooky bitch um and that's that's what's going on. <laughs> well, um, that's cool. That's that's a good one to be. Um <laughs> we we, we could have you know I think eventually we'll probably just tackle most of these. Um we'll just have you back and we'll and, and I know we're going to do the witch sometime around yeah. uh October this year. We'll have you back for that for sure, but we definitely should do Fifth Element. Um that's a movie I haven't seen in a long time. But we ended up going for this one with Videodrome, which is uh, a movie from 1983, uh, written and directed by David Cronenberg, kind of one of his first bigger movies, even though it didn't perform well. Uh, But the first movie where he had some kind of Hollywood backing um, after a series of really weird (laughs) under the radar movies. Not to say this isn't weird. Oh, uh, quite, quite the opposite. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I think it's the first film that he had studio involvement with from the get go. Right. Um, and with Universal, which was a pretty conservative studio at the time. So he was real confused about it. I get the feeling. Yeah, he probably still is. And you, and whoever greenlit this is probably still confused. Uh, it, it has all the hallmarks of, um, of a David Cronenberg movie, which is to say, uh, Body horror, obviously, um, technology, uh, technology and the body becoming one. Um, I don't have you ever seen Existence? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that was sort of had some of the DNA of Videodrome in it. Yeah, it's sort of like a. I, I the first term that popped into my head was classier, like a classier version of Videodrome, <laughs> but but I don't think Maybe that a that's. Little. <laughs> I, I don't know, like like a little bit less um, offensive on purpose, maybe. Yeah, a little less schlocky. I mean, this this is sort of a Videodrome, sort of a B movie, uh, and obviously we say, people like us say that as a term of endearment and not as a slag. Um, it did not do well in the theaters because I imagine it's a cult classic now. But I'm trying to I was trying to imagine when I was watching it today what people in 1983 thought of this thing. Sure. And I mean, like it comes off as being a little bit prophetic when you watch it now. But at the oh, time, yeah. I mean, it's also um, so So, a, I, I was I was watching the director's commentary um, to oh, prepare cool. for, for this. Are, are you uh, are you a human who likes watching a director's commentary? Well, I'm a human who used to do that a lot when I was buying DVDs and had more time in life and not a child. But I haven't done that in a long time, but I miss it. I, I do love commentaries. Yeah, I, well, I had to figure out how to play a DVD um, uh-huh. <laughs> in order to do it. The answer was that I had a PS2 like in a box in my closet, and that worked out. Right, but <laughs> um, but but uh, but so yeah. So I was watching this commentary, and uh, and he was saying that he didn't know the script was not finalized, and he mm-hmm. didn't know the plot as they were shooting it. <laughs> really, <laughs> and I think it shows. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm glad you said that because it is uh it is a movie that is that is great in a lot of ways, but also meanders a little bit and I think it it feels like it has trouble figuring out its own point of view a little bit. 
Does yeah, that make sense? It, it it does. It does. Well, and, and I do think that in some ways it's it's one of those films that isn't necessarily an exercise in, um, you know, crafting a, a taut plot line. Um, mm-hmm. It's like not a knives out kind of situation, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> sort of polar opposites there. But um, but it is um, very aware of the textures it's using and the kind of philosophy that it's building, um, yeah. even if it had to sort of talk itself through the process as it goes. But I will say this is an 89-minute film, and it feels like it goes on for three hours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a pretty tight 89, but it it, it's, it meanders a little bit. Um, I do know what you mean, though. Like, I think part of the likability of this movie isn't um, necessarily the plot. Uh, it is it is texturized, and it is um, sort of a feel and a mood. Um, it's unsettling. Um, oh, yeah. I imagine in, in 19, I mean, it's unsettling now. And like you said, so much of this stuff was way, 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 way before it's time. But, um, I'm trying, I think I saw it when I was younger. There's no way I saw it when I was 12. Oh, um, I hope not. <laughs> no, I was not seeing movies like this. I was like E.T. E. and the Goonies boy. Um, but I know I saw it. I think I probably saw it in college on VHS, like probably when I worked at, at a video stores when I saw it. Uh, I, I'm glad that you bring that up because I, I was going to ask you if you remember the first time that you saw it or like the first time-ish and like how you felt about it at the time. Yeah, I mean, there was a time in college where I, I worked at this uh, great video store and where I really got turned on to stuff like this. And I remember Scanners and Videodrome being, you know, my first two Cronenberg movies and becoming a fan and just, I don't know much about the guy, like what makes him tick. Uh, he's always sort of been like a David Lynchian figure to me as far as a true, um, just unique voice in cinema, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I um, I also watched it for the first time in college um, and uh, I think for a class because I was an English major taking some really weird classes. I, I think this this one I watched for a class called Psychocinemanalysis. Um, oh, cool. So very – very much into Freud and very much into movies that play with that kind of kind of in- imagery and also with with uh, technology. And uh-huh. so this was sort of like like I'm pretty sure that the 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 dude doing the class like watched this movie and was like, "Dude, what yeah. if I do a whole class about this?" Um, <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I could totally see that. Yeah, and well, and and like my reaction was just like I didn't like I don't think that I knew that you could make a movie like this. I was like, you could make a movie like that? Like, yeah. like something that's just so batshit, but also so culturally relevant. Yeah, I mean, it opens with the introduction of Civic TV, which is the the TV station that James Woods uh, runs. And even that opening bit where he has the, the lady talking about your schedule for the day and all that. I mean, that that's Alexa or Google Home or whatever. Yeah, in 1983, you know, that's, I, huh. it's it's nuts to think about. Absolutely, um, and and just the and just how um, I don't know, like like oppressive it manages to be in a completely cheerful way. Uh, just uh, the, the the slogan um, for the TV station, I think, is um, the one you take to bed with you. And I'm like, who? Right. <laughs> that- <laughs> yeah, it's it's supposed to be comforting, but somehow is not. Not at all. Not not especially given everything else that happens in this movie. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. Good Lord. Um, it's also a movie that reminded me how much I used to um, love James Woods. I mean, yeah. he's such a cre- creep now. Uh, uh, it's, right. it's hard to kind of unknow that stuff. But he was always so good at playing a creep and a sleazeball. Um, just, I mean, one of one of the great actors, I think, from back then if given the right role. Absolutely. And he, um, and he's so, he's so good in this movie. He, um, he's just, he's so funny. Um, like his, his physical, yeah. he brings his physicality to the role that, um, that is clearly important for, for a lot of the, the kind of action sequences, but, but also it, just these little moments of physical comedy where he's kind of just a little twitchy. Um, yeah. He, there, there's the moment where he goes into the, um, uh, spectacular optical office for the first time and he tries on those goofy looking glasses <laughs> and kind of gives himself a look in the mirror and you know that was 
pure James Woods probably just doing a, a little improv bit there. Yeah. Uh, and there are a couple of little lighter moments like that. that uh, and, and moments where I wonder, like, Cronenberg is so weird. But there are moments, too, where I wonder if Cronenberg is, has his tongue in cheek a little bit. I... I think he I think he pretty firmly does or like that's that's the idea that I get because it doesn't come off like like the fact that there are so frequently that he does so frequently cast um, these actors who are a little bit weirder and more cerebral and like less, um, you know, like like classic Hollywood. And the fact that he yeah. does so frequently incorporate these small moments of humor to, to offset the horror. Um, I think it's a super important balance in any horror film um, and any comedy film, really, like, you know, goes both ways. But um, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, and for this, uh, apparently, as they were making up the script and the plot, um, James Woods would come up with a bunch of ideas and, and they would wind up going with them. Mm-hmm. Now, what is, what is you listen to the commentary? What is Cronenberg like? when he's talking about this stuff, is he like self-serious or is he kind of uh, like, how does he view this, this stuff now? Uh, he said, uh, so, so the commentary is on the um, criterion edition of the film and uh, oh, so I'm not sure when the DVD would have come out, but I imagine a decade or two ago. Um, uh-huh. And, uh, and he said that he, in preparation for it, had watched the film for the first time in like 25 years. Um, and, and his um his his manner is is very scholarly in a way mm-hmm. um it, it it's very much he's very much into the um philosophy of of what he's talking about although i don't think that he would term it like that like i think that he would find that pretentious <laughs> and would try to avoid it but um but he talks right. so much in that commentary about um marshall McLuhan, um who uh are you familiar mm-hmm. with yeah yeah um a dude who wrote this book called understanding media in 64 um, yeah, and famously coined the phrase "the medium is the message," and uh, and one of the things that Cronenberg talks about at length is how the character um, Brian Oblivion uh-huh. is P- it, Professor Oblivion, Professor Oblivion, <laughs> O period Oblivion. The pun we need to talk about the puns in this film, but that's yeah. a thread over here. Uh, and that's another reason why, I, I, like, I don't think that this dude is taking himself too seriously. Like, I think that he takes his subject right. matter seriously, but yeah. I think he's having fun. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, there's no way he, he yeah. I, I think it's, I think it borders on satire at times a little bit. Yeah. Uh, without being like super overtly satirical, not like Paul Verhoeven, which we've been watching, like Paul and I did Starship Troopers. Oh gosh, And RoboCop, yeah. like that's straight up satire. But right. I, I think this sort of plays around with it, the tone of satire a little bit, which is super cool, I think. Yeah, yeah. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. 
Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Uh, there's a, another good quote in this movie, too, that um, there's a couple of creepy quotes that are very relevant today. Is One from Professor Oblivion, where he says, the television screen has become the retina of the mind's eye. Ooh. I mean, shit, that was 1983, and that might as well be <laughs> like the slogan for modern day society. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and then uh, James Woods has a line, sort of as the video drum kind of early in the movie when he's looking at these essentially snuff films and uh, getting judged for watching them. And he says, you know, better on TV than in the streets. And it's an interesting quote because this character, I think, I think he thinks he's moral in a way. Yeah. Because he's, um, he's letting people get you know um experience these 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 dark thoughts these darker desires um these more dangerous um things without actually going out and participating in them yeah and like debbie harry he he who by the way debbie harry's in this movie yeah from blondie <laughs> amazing <laughs> so good and she, she's been in a few films but um she's you know a classic yeah but she uh he tries to keep her from doing this stuff like she clearly I mean, once we learn kind of what she's doing, that that becomes part of the plot. But at first, you just think she has certain kinks and sexual fetishes. And he tries to keep her from doing these things like, no, you shouldn't cut yourself. You shouldn't do these things. Um, For someone who's running something like Civic TV, I thought it was an interesting balance. Yeah, it's a little bit it's a little bit sweet, like because he's he's clearly like a little bit of a creepazoid, but at the same time he's going like, oh no, like don't want to hurt you, and she's like, what? Like this is fun. Yeah. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> like she's way more hardcore than he is. Like oh, he's yeah. a bit of a coward, actually. Yeah, yeah, and she sort of winds up bringing him into it. Um, and I and I love that again, especially in 1983, being able to have that dynamic between a man and a woman on screen, and and have the woman mm-hmm. be the one who, even though she's she's the the the, the masochist in the Santa masochistic relationship of theirs, uh, for the most part, um, she's she's very much in control most of the time. I can never which, remember which is which. <laughs> <laughs> the masochist is the one getting receiving the. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, okay. and the sadist is the one giving it. That's why I never took to it. People are like, "Chuck, you're not doing it." Right. <laughs> Like, oh, I always forget. You're Which like, one am I again? Just give me a note. Just tape it to my forehead. I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, another quote. When they're just start starting out um, their their relationship, they're on this first date uh, where they're in his apartment, and she's flipping through a box of um, of Betamax tapes because. Betamax is what uh-huh. this entire movie is about, um, which I love. Uh, uh, yeah. She's like, "Ooh, what about this one? This what about this one labeled Videodrome? That looks interesting. Um, is it is it porn?" Um, and he's like, "Well, it ain't exactly sex." And she's like, "Says who?" And I'm like, "Yeah, interesting." 
It's a, it's a definitely, a, there's a point of view in here that m- big time movies did not explore. Uh, like there, there was no precedent for this film. Uh, and I'm sure when the executives at Universal got the first cut, they were just like, what the fuck is, are we doing here? Like, can we even release this? I'm sure they had those conversations. Oh, I'm sure. Well, and um, and the the MPAA or or the Canadian equivalent. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, uh, right. What it is, but yeah. Um. Apparently, during that time, um, they they would just literally take your print and they would cut what they didn't want out of it. And oh, really? That's the print that would wind up circulating. Um, wow. And it was kind of and a lot of those scenes have been put back in since then mm-hmm. um and and i think I, I i don't know if the film was in release long enough and it, and it was on a physical print you know it's not like these digital times mm-hmm. when you can just for no money just throw prints everywhere but um, yeah yeah uh boy that's crazy i can't imagine handing over the editing keys to a, a ratings board right <laughs> especially the yeah. keys of something like this <laughs> like <laughs> i know it's like they wouldn't i'm surprised it wasn't 60 minutes long <laughs> They they did. Uh, he he talks about them cutting some some very specific um, uh, uh, pieces that you know, like like while not integral to the plot, sure are um, are integral to the to, to the mood and the feel of the piece and are not obscene. Um, you know that this is a very uncomfortable movie to watch in a room full of people. Mm-hmm. I think, um, which I love, uh, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but but it's also. Um, yeah, it's it's just a it's a it's a mood. It's a mood. It is, and it's a, a movie with um, full of practical effects. Obviously, oh. if, if it's 1983, you're not mm-hmm. going to have um, CGI or anything. And some of it looks pretty good still. I thought all the um, I thought all the TV stuff where things were coming out of the TV screen. I yeah. think that stuff really still looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah. When the TVs are like breathing and and uh, James yeah. Woods is physically interacting with them. Um, uh, yeah, those are those are beautiful. There's there's one one scene where um where he's touching the top of the television and it's kind of breathing uh-huh. and these veins yeah. pop out and it gets me every time. I'm like, oh, oh, how cool. Um, totally. Yeah, it holds and, up in that manner. Yeah, in in some scenes, in some scenes, it's definitely like you can you can <laughs> it gets it gets a little bit cheesy. Um, uh, but um, but it was Rick Baker doing those effects. Um, and this oh, was, okay, I, I kind of figured it was. Yeah, and this was right after he had just done um, an American Werewolf in London, and mm, yeah. so like like what a what a wonderful time to get a Rick Baker on your side. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of, uh, he was on the leading edge, kind of as a young artist back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know how much fun I, I used to. I think my brother and I, when we were little, would um, were sort of obsessed with this kind of gore and thought that we both wanted to get into being like special effects people. Me too. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like what's what's more fun than like making a head explode or uh, making a a stomach vagina. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we had to go there at some point, right? Oh, yep, yep. There is definitely a torso vagina, and it definitely plays heavily <laughs> in in this film. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about it. That's one of the central, m- most memorable parts of this movie is this recurring bit where James Woods has a an opening in his chest stomach cavity that uh, it very intentionally looks like a vagina, I think. Oh, yeah, ver- that is not an accident. things are put in it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no David Cronenberg <laughs> makes no accidents. Not um, when torso vaginas are you know, concerned. <laughs> there's a, a gun put in there and that disappears. There are uh, meaty uh, breathing videotapes put in there. Uh, an arm is sort of stripped or degloved. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other people like like he he self inserts things and then other uh-huh. people kind of more forcefully <laughs> insert things into him. Um, and yeah. And then there's that scene at the end with the where, where the hand gets stripped there. He's got a torso vagina dentata. <laughs> this is <laughs> t- totally. Where are the teeth? <laughs> and uh, and gosh, speaking of puns, when when that when that dude who gets his hand eaten pulls his hand uh-huh. back out, it's a literal hand grenade. <laughs> oh man, I, yeah, I don't think I quite picked up on that. You're right. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then he's he's like, oh no, there's this grenade that's my hand now, and then he blows up, and so I, <laughs> I don't, 
I don't yeah. understand. God damn, that's great. <laughs> uh, but every single time, I mean, it's effective. Like David Cronenberg oh. wants to make you squirm. He wants to set a mood that is very uncomfortable. And there's not a single time that that chest cavity opens up and someone reaches in there that it doesn't make me squirm. It It is extraordinarily uncomfortable. Um, and par- partially because at first it's so goofy um, and, and you want to laugh at it. But then... But then it's really not goofy. Like it, it's so unsettling, um, and uh, yeah. and also just such a, a, a rare visual occurrence to 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 come across um, that you know out, outside of like pornography um, uh-huh. to see something like that on a screen, and and so it's just like who, um, and and I feel like yeah, like like you could you could go unpack the American psyche's reaction right. to looking at vaginas for a very long time. Um, <laughs> like we don't have time for that today. Um, <laughs> or... We could do a whole series on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, what a, what Cronenberg says in the commentary, um, the, the first time that somebody else reaches into James Woods um, is he's getting fucked by television, which I think everybody is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I laugh, but that's, that's sort of the message here is that in, the the plot is that TV is is replacing like they talk about the physical body dying right and you becoming part of Videodrome I guess yeah and s- skipping forward to the to the end of the film I I keep wanting to be like spoiler alert but I think that that's understood um uh yeah totally um you know he uh, James Wood's character winds up killing himself because he can't deal with this this self destructive uh. And, and that's the thing. I think it's self-destructive. I, I think that the the mm-hmm. the like moral message of this movie is not that television um, makes us violent, but that it makes us self-destructive. Yeah, and I also feel like there's a little bit of a message of um, of a beware what road you're about to go down thing. Yeah. Uh, and he's even literally warned by that woman at first, like the video drum isn't something you want to get involved in. But and and sort of the classic fable, I guess of uh, the forbidden fruit or the unknown and like that's not a door you want to walk through but s- there are some people that are tempted to walk through it and that is this character oh yeah this character is tempted by everything and indulges in everything um and and is very very human um through that yeah and you know it, for the first half hour or so it's sort of up until that first plot point it's it's a movie you think is about this guy that stumbles upon this sort of snuff film syndicate, maybe. And it's not until you get that, uh, that first videotape coming alive and sort of pulsing and breathing that, and, and of course this was in 1983. Like you didn't know who David Cronenberg really was that much at this point. Like now audiences are just like, well, although he, he has changed his tune and some of the movies he made in later years aren't like this, but generally you go to a Cronenberg movie and you're waiting on, the body horror and the, this kind of weirdness to come out. Yeah, but, yeah. But after, back the then, fly, after the fly, after the fly, it was all over. Um, you can't. <laughs> what what you, year was the fly? Actually, that was I just say, after this. I oh, I'm not sure. Maybe eighty six, eighty seven, or was it all the way in the nineties? I have a bad concept of time. I saw. I do too. It wasn't. It was eighty six. So I think it okay. was probably the movie right after this one. Yeah. There may have been one in between, but it's what point is. It's what you had come to expect from Cronenberg. But back then you're sitting in the theater, you're watching this movie like, oh, we are, this guy stumbled upon this snuff film syndicate and uh, he runs a TV station. And then all of a sudden just the wheels fly off of this thing. <laughs> and very quickly. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's another thing that I, that I just love about this. I mean, like, like I always love a practical effect. I always love some good body horror. Um, but, but the, 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 the framing of it as it, of just being stuck in James Wood's character's um, mm. uh, hallucination and and increasingly not good hallucination, um, yeah, and and just completely committing to it and like not taking a step back by like I don't know like putting a filter on it or like shooting it wide or you know, or you know through a different mm. lens or whatever, um, and 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 as the viewer like like that hoof. Like that that's part of why it's so unsettling because you're you're given this universe where everything yeah. is real and everything just keeps being real. <laughs> but but with, you know, breathing television sets. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those movies that um 
you're never quite sure what reality is and what's not. It really plays with that notion yeah. of the hallucinations versus reality. And um, even from the, the early moment where he, uh, in, in a very 80s movie style, like hauls off and slaps that lady he works with. And it's also Debbie Harry for a minute, and he uh-huh. slaps her again. And then he's like, I'm sorry for slapping you. She's like, you didn't slap me. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Hoof. I uh, wasn't even sure, because uh, it had been a long time since I'd seen this. So I wasn't even sure what was real and what wasn't at this point. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever have been until <laughs> until I listened to that director's commentary. And he pretty explicitly lays out that, like, that yeah, like all of the weird stuff is uh-huh. total hallucination. Right. Um uh, and, you know, um, some of the effects of those hallucinations are, are real, like James Woods does, or his, the dude didn't, James, his character does, uh, uh, shoot some people, but, um, you know, not with a meat gun. Right. Well, let's talk about that, too. Because <laughs> what's badass. a good torso vagina without a good meat gun, am I right? <laughs> that's a quote for all ages. Um, or all of, for the ages, not for all ages. Not in for fact. all ages. <laughs> Yeah, that that when the gun becomes a part of his body, and uh, that's another great special effects sequence. And I, I couldn't help but think that, like, a really cool deep cut cosplay would Ooh. be um, that gun hand coupled with the uh, the really cool like Oculus Rift um, <laughs> head helmet thing. Like, right. if I ever saw someone do that, I would just be like, "Props to you," because that oh. is like one of the cool deep cuts. Absolutely. And that, oh, that helmet too is amazing. Like, this is 1983. Like, like it we, looked great. It looked so good. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and so creepy. And I love that we get a little, a little moment of like, of like 16 bit, uh, Debbie Harry in there. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was straight up VR, you know, it, yeah. it's crazy. Like years before that was even a thing. Yeah. Y- years before, I mean, uh, what was the what was the thing with the with with the, the 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 Game Boy VR thing even like it was years before that Yeah, yeah. This was and David Cronenberg might have invented VR for all I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna look that up actually. <laughs> for all I know, that he he should get credited. He should get some money from Oculus Rift. He should. He should. They should at least like put in small print somewhere on every headset. <laughs> like like thanks, David. <laughs> Uh, the meat gun, though, and he did this in Existence and some of his other movies. There's this like meaty, fleshy quality of his special effects that is just so gross. Yeah, it's it's every everything is kind of um, kind of sheeny. It's it's yeah. all it's all moist. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> well, you're triggering a lot of people right now. <laughs> I know. And and yeah, and it's all veiny, and it it is it, it gets. Uh-huh. Um, th- there are I think maybe like three different versions of the meat gun that, that yeah. show up, and the first one is very technological, and the second one is very just penile, just very uh-huh. straight up fleshy, and the third is kind of a blend between the two. Um, yeah. And and I'm sure that there was a specific thought process into doing sure. that into him him becoming this piece of technology that's being used. Um, yeah, yeah, and and it it gets bigger and bigger too. And yeah. it, um, by the by the time he's at that last one, when he goes to the spectacular optical conference, which by the way is an amazing scene, it is such a trip. <laughs> I I want David Cronenberg to design all of my corporate experiences forever. <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine? You're like who's gonna who's gonna do your corporate conference? Oh, we got Cronenberg. It should be should be pretty cool. <laughs> No, it's amazing to look at. Uh, that dance sequence is so great and so 80s. Yeah. But um, by the time he gets there with his gun hand, it's like, it's so disturbing. It's really big and it's just, you can't even see where the gun ends and his body and his arm begins. It's so disturbing. Yeah. Um. Oh, and then that, that terrific... Um, uh, in, in multiple meanings of the word, uh, a death sequence of, um, oh, what's the character's name? It's another terrible pun. Barry Convex. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> played by uh, Leslie Carson, who played Deep Throat in The X-Files. Um, okay. I knew I knew that face. Yeah. He's a Canadian um, character actor who who's done a lot of great things. But um, but but yeah, just just real good at being kind of similarly just sort of like like slimy, just like just like, oh, like, I don't think I like that guy. <laughs> yeah. But like very subtly, sort of yeah. like the guy, the guy that walks in with a suit on, and he's smiling. And you're like, did you just kill someone or are you 
Are you happy? To, or did you have a nice meal? Yeah, like, yeah. Which, did you have ice cream it? or was it murder? <laughs> yeah, I knew I knew that guy's face. X Files. That's totally it. Yeah. Um, and oh yeah, and then and then right, like just just all the, the, this like cancer just comes bubbling up out of him. Um, yeah. Because uh, there there is that 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 theme um, that the reason that James Wood's character is having these hallucinations is that um, uh, watching Videodrome, as it turns out, creates brain tumors that create mm-hmm. hallucinations. Um, and yeah, uh, technically that's the plot. Uh. <laughs> Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I mean, I think this is a movie that serves you well if you do um, maybe just a little brief read up about kind of what because it can be a little hard to follow at times. Yeah. And this is and I'm not a big proponent of remaking movies, but this is a movie I could see like I could see the right director doing it justice with sort of more modern technology if they didn't if they kept the sort of spirit of the first one and the tone and didn't make it super flashy, yeah. I could see it being a little tighter and more s- straightforward plot wise. Right. But it, boy, it's such a fine line between that and like completely ruining it. Yeah. And so, and so many moments in it that I, that I think are, are so perfect are really awkward. And I think that that's part of what lends that general unsettling vibe to the yeah. film. 
um, I don't know. Yeah, you're never sure who is telling the truth. And I'm a big fan of those movies where there's some kind of central secret and you don't know, the the central character doesn't know when they're being lied to and neither does the audience. Yeah. And you're you're left at the end kind of kind of with that same feeling. Yeah, dude, I don't like I was thinking about this after I sent you that email and I was like, I don't do I know what Videodrome is about? <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> one of those movies. Well, it's like and not only what it's about plot-wise, but I found myself at times going like, what's the message here? Cuz I know there is a message. I don't think it's just shock and horror. No, because Cronenberg's always had a lot more going on than that. It's a cerebral guy, but um, I don't know. I kind of struggle with figuring it out. Um, that that's that's one that I I get like I, like I don't think I really put together until I was just watching this commentary because a, a lot of the commentary is is um, is Cronenberg talking about that censorship that he experienced mm-hmm. um, not only on this film but on previous films and um, talking about how infuriating it was. Um, because, uh, you know, he'd be talking about these, these censors taking offense to something and, and taking it out for, for no, um, objective reason. Right. Um, and, It's just uh, gross. Right, right. They're just grossed out by it. So it goes. Right. Um, and, and he was talking about that and he was talking about this, um, this kind of pop psych concept that especially I think in in the eighties we definitely um, a, a lot of society was buzzing about um, mm-hmm. about um, uh, violence on television causing violence in communities right and and Cronenberg I, I think that this whole movie is essentially just him going like like oh you think that you think that TVs cause violence what if it literally did let's explore that let's yeah. let's take a look at that at what that would actually look like. Um, and get Rick Baker on the line. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe you're right. Is uh, And that's where I failed in not going back in time to 1983. <laughs> when this, when this, seriously though, when the movie was made, like if you're looking for the message, you can't really look for it in 2020, yeah. although it's still super relevant in that oh, way. Oh, sure. I think. And, 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 and also, um, you know, realizing, because we, we, I'm sure we talked about this in class because I know that I read McLuhan in, in that same class I was talking about um, mm-hmm. where we watched this film. But um, uh, hearing Cronenberg talk about how much of an influence McLuhan is on him um, mm-hmm. and and is on this character, um, Oblivion, is – I don't know. I, I think that um, in, in this film he's riffing on the medium as the message and kind mm-hmm. of turning it back on itself and saying like, well, but we are also the medium. Um Right. So. Long live the new flesh. Long live the new flesh. <laughs> I mean, there it is. Ah. Oh, so gross. <laughs> I know. That, that'd be, that'd look good on a t-shirt, actually. <laughs> Let's do it. We have the technology. <laughs> some people would understand it and some people would just be like, man, I'm like, you want to keep people away from you during the times of coronavirus. <laughs> just good, Wear solid. <laughs> that is six feet minimum. Minimum. <laughs> Yeah, there's something about the word flesh even that's just uh, evocative and kind of interesting. And and I'm sure every art department production meeting Cronenberg ever had in his life used the word flesh. Like, what it should it look like? More fleshy. More fleshy. Could it be fleshier? What I was yeah. thinking of here was flesh. Yeah, like that's fleshy, but I really want something fleshier. I mean, he's a treasure. Uh, I love his later movies. I don't know if you saw... Um, History of Violence and uh, what was the other great one uh, with Viggo Mortensen? Oh, oh, heck, um, I have not. Um, I, I'm much more familiar with his earlier work. Um, I and and I was asking myself earlier, like, like why haven't I seen more of his films? And I feel like I'm like saving them. I'm like saving them for like uh-huh. some specific time when <laughs> Now's I. Now's the time, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I'm not going anywhere else. <laughs> what is the other one? It's driving me crazy, and I usually don't look up stuff, but. Uh, Crash was. Did you ever see Crash? Who? Um, I saw. Okay, I, I have not seen all of Crash. I saw it around the same time that I watched Videodrome, like maybe a little bit after, and uh, and I think I got through about twenty minutes of the film, and I just went like, "All right, um, well, I have reached my lifetime capacity for wound yeah. fucking. That's it. That's yeah, that's what I it was. I wasn't a huge fan. I mean, <laughs> obviously, The Fly is a classic. Dead Zone. Oh yeah. I'm looking over his filmography. Naked Lunch, amazing. Mm, mm-hmm. Um. 
Existence was so creepy and weird. Oh, Eastern Promises was the, was the other. Yeah. I would recommend History of Violence and Easter Promises. Yeah. Those are both great. And I have not seen Cosmopolis yet, but I've heard that's awesome too. Oh, I'm I'm sure. The I Robert love... Pattinson one. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Robert Pattinson, who knew? Um uh, I know, right? Have you have you seen The Lighthouse? Did you like The Lighthouse? I love The Lighthouse. <laughs> Thought it was amazing. Very divisive I... movie. It is. It is. No, I, I loved it, too. But for sure, that was a film that I, I like saw at Midtown Art, Art Cinema and like stumbled out of. Um, and it was daylight outside, which was jarring. Um, yeah. And just like totally. kept, just kept stumbling straight into the Highlander and just ordered whiskey. And I was like, this yeah. is the only way that I know how to cope right now. <laughs> I've done that many times over the years. The, that We got a great movie theater in Atlanta, which has got a an old school bar right next door to it. Yeah. Very conveniently located. Yes, yes. Both are really excellent places to be. (laughs) I saw the uh, lighthouse on a beautiful spring day in New York City and uh, did the same thing and came out. And it was just one of those days where everyone was out. I was like, I don't I don't even know what to do now. (laughs) (laughs) I was so disoriented. Yeah. In in the best way um, or, or a best way, maybe not the best way. Looking back, though, on his filmography, Existence in 1999. Wow. I think it's the last really Cronenberg-y weirdo movie. Although I didn't see Spider, that looks like it might have been pretty weird too. I think I think it was from what I've heard. I've not seen that one either. I haven't With, seen uh, anything from after Existence. I don't think. Yeah, I saw Existence in the movie. I was. I need to revisit that one. I don't think I've seen it since then. That was a good movie. Yeah, I definitely haven't watched that in like fifteen years. So you got anything else on uh, on this gem? Um, oh, can we talk about some more puns here? Yeah, yeah, uh, what else you got? <laughs> um, so, uh, so even, uh, Debbie Harris's character is named Nikki Brand. Um, and, <laughs> uh, the last name Brand is because of the cigarette scene, the cigarette branding scene. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. She burns and her chest. She burns her chest with a cigarette. Um, and then it's implied that probably James Woods does the same. Um, right. he smells the cigarette after he... She burns it. Yeah. That was sort of creepy. Yeah. Um, And the name Nikki is because of the cuts on her shoulder in the first Nikki brand. (sighs) Did not even pick up on that. I would not have either. Uh, (laughs) Did he point that out in the the commentary? Kind of proudly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I was making dad jokes when I was in my late 30s. Yeah, yeah. Um and uh oh man, so so many amazing uh, just naming conventions and the cath- the cathode ray mission being Yeah, yeah, that was that pretty church. good. Uh-huh. Um and then I, I still can't get over spectacular optical. I yeah. just keep saying it <laughs> in my head and going like Oh, that's oh. a band name if I ever heard one. Ooh. Oh, I I am not musically uh inclined, but I want to I want to be in that band. You can be in a fake band. Oh, perfect. <laughs> just uh that that would be the cosplay is a band called Spectacular Optical and you're all wearing those video drum headsets with uh gun gun meat meaty gun hands. <laughs> Would love to see that at uh at a uh, convention. Yeah, if we ever get Dragon Con back, sure. Oh, I know that was gonna be this weekend, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. All of my oh. all of my friends are posting like I should be drunk, not in my home right, right now. <laughs> I should be dressed up and drunk. Well, I am, but <laughs> just not in my living room. But not here. <laughs> yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah, but everything's uh, a bummer. Every, yeah. Hey, no, there's, <laughs> there's, there's great. My cat is really excited about this whole thing. He's like, she's home every time. The lap is right there. Yeah, my animals are are pretty excited too. It's been uh, a lot of togetherness, Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say too much. Yeah. No, it's been it's been cool. In a way. Yeah, that's, it, it's, hey, it's going to end someday. And in the meanwhile, we are all learning a lot about ourselves. And that's a good journey to go on. That's right. Long live the new flesh. <laughs> Long live the new flesh. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for picking Video Drum. It was fun to go back and watch that one. And um, I'm going to, I think I'm going to try and check out the director's commentary. I want to see what that's all about. Yeah, yeah. If you need to borrow the DVD and a PS2, um, I'm here for you. I got a, I got a PS3, so okay. are, I think so, in a box somewhere. <laughs> uh, and we'll have you back to talk about The Witch 
and maybe we'll do uh we could either round table that or we'll just do another horror horror round table and you can jump in on that too yeah great i'd love to anytime thank you so much for having me on all right well hang in there you too yeah and i'll see you soon all right Movie Crush is produced, edited, and engineered by Ramsey Yunt here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.